Well, on this Mother's Day, I have news that perhaps you don't have. One of our young mothers is a mother once again. Little Meredith Frank is now in the world. Born to Steve and Krista. I don't even know when she was born, Andy. Do you know, Heather? Yesterday? All right, all right. So, pray for big sister Caroline. She is no longer the princess in the family. Her world has been rocked. Pray for mom and dad as they help her cope with that reality. Oh, and a word about the flowers as you came in this morning. You know, I think Mother's Day is an important day. But honestly, I, I think it's, its greatest value is reminding us of how precious women are in our lives. So whether you're a mom or not, you should have gotten a flower as you came in this morning. Because it is an acknowledgement, I think, and, and this is just my personal bias, that we live certainly in a very broken world and in a world where men often bring great pain and suffering upon women. And so I just want you to know that at Appwood Community Church, we stand for the beauty and the wonder and uh, the full citizenship status, if I can put it that way, and the glory and the image of God that he has revealed to us in women. And we stand for their preciousness and want to be a congregation that affirms that and, and exalts that and protects that in all that we do, all that we say. So, not only happy Mother's Day to those of you who are mothers, but happy Women's Day to all of you who are female and so wonderfully show to us that image of our God. We, we love that. We do. It was in the spring of 1980. I packed my clothes and a few earthly possessions that seemed to be important to me at 23 years old. Stuffed them into my 1970 Ford pickup, which was an upgrade over the first pickup that I'd had. That was a 1959 Ford. And uh, drove away from Portland, Oregon, which was my home, and I headed east. And two days later, 2,100 miles later, I was in Wheaton, Illinois. I had never driven so far and done it so fast in my entire life. And I was not even tired. In fact, I was energized. Because you see, I was on a mission. Because the love of my life was graduating from Wheaton College. And I was there for her graduation which quite frankly I didn't think was that big of a deal because I'd just done it the year before. But what I was really there for was to make sure that the wedding that we were planning to have just a little over two months after arriving was really going to happen. There was nothing that I wanted more in my life at that point than to be 
with her because she was the most important person in my life. I wanted to be in her presence. Pastor and author Gordon Fee writes these profound words. He says, presence is a delicious word because it points to one of our truly great gifts. Nothing else can take the place of presence. Not gifts, not telephone calls, not pictures, not mementos, nothing. Ask the person who has lost a lifelong mate what they miss the most. Their answer is invariably presence. When we are ill, we don't need soothing words nearly as much as we need loved ones to be present. What makes shared life, games and walks and concerts, outings and a myriad of other things, so pleasurable? It is presence. He's right. He is so right on. Humans were not created to live in isolation. To experience life alone would be a tragedy. Even even the most introverted persons that we know, they, they have to come out for air sometimes and have some social interaction. Some, some face-to-face. Not as much of those as those who are the, uh, the raging extroverts, but we were created to live in relationship. God created us in His image, and God exists, as you know, in community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the original community. They enjoy and they celebrate the presence of one another in that community. And a part of what it means, I think, to be created in the image of God is that, that we are social, to share with others, to interact with others, to love and to be loved, to be in the presence of others who desire the same. We know the word socio comes from the Latin, which means socius, means companion. Pathology is the study of disease. And so what do we call that person with psychopathic personality whose behavior is usually antisocial, often criminal? They are sociopaths. Their ability to interact with and to be in the presence of others in a healthy, life-giving fashion is diseased. It is broken. It is not normal human behavior. And I would guess that probably in your life's experience, as I have, you've noticed that the deepest wounds, the deepest tragedy, the, the greatest pains are experienced in relationship to broken and unhealthy relationships with others. Relationships that are, that are lost to death inflict such great pain. Why? Well, because the social dimension of the image of our God is hardwired into every human being. Did you ever see the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks? I thought that was one of the most boring movies I've ever seen in my life. Ironically, because there was only one person predominantly in that movie, but you remember his best friend on the island, Wilson the volleyball, painted the face on it, you know, for an incredibly boring movie. I thought that the theme was remarkable in terms of how they, they examined through his relationship to that volleyball the human desire for presence, companionship, Got to have someone. Last Sunday, we started into this new series that we're calling Power for Living. And in his book, 
Forgotten God, Francis Chan says that something very important is missing in the church in America. He writes, I believe that this missing something is actually a missing someone, namely the Holy Spirit. Without him, people operate in their own strength and only accomplish human-sized results. The world is not moved by love or actions that are of human creation. And the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. But when believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church cannot help but be different. And the world cannot help but notice. I think he's right on. I think that's exactly what Jesus knew, which is why we read those words that Jesus spoke to his followers last Sunday. You remember, as they're wondering what happens next, Jesus says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised. They know that Jesus is leaving them. Do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my Father has promised. In a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses as a result of that in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The words that that Jesus used there for baptism, it's an interesting word. It it obviously means to be fully immersed. That's, That's its literal meaning. But we find it showing up in other ancient literature. And it's oftentimes used to describe the process of pickling. The cucumber goes into the vinegar solution and it comes out changed. That's the word, the ancient origin of the word that Jesus uses there for baptism. When the Spirit comes upon you, you will be immersed and you will come out of that experience changed, you will be different than before. And did we not see that happen as we read the Pentecost account? The Spirit, as Jesus promised, came upon His followers and they were not the same as before the Spirit came. Why? Because God came to dwell in them. The presence of God was in them. They were changed. What about us? Those who claim to be followers of Jesus, what about us? Has the presence of the living God in us changed everything? Somehow, I think it should. Does that not seem reasonable? The presence of the living God in us, that part of the image of God that is hardwired into us, that desire and that longing for companionship, God has satisfied completely and ultimately with Himself. God in us. You remember as Jesus neared the end of His life on the earth, He told His followers that He would be leaving them, but They didn't need to fear because he would ask the Father to give them another counselor. And that word is often translated advocate, intercessor, helper, assistant. Jesus told them, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor does it know him, but but you know him, 
For he lives with you and will be in you. I'm, I'm just, I'm so grabbed by that. Jesus is speaking here about, about the ultimate presence that a person can experience in their life. To be in the presence of God. And, and, and in the years that his followers uh, stayed with Jesus and, and, and lived with Jesus and, and followed after him, they were indeed in the presence of God. They were in the presence of God the Son. And now Jesus is saying to them, there's going to come a day when the presence of God is going to be in you. Not just with you, but in you. God, the Spirit. We're going to read this morning from John's Gospel. And our text comes just to to give you a little bit of what's immediately before. The text follows Jesus and his disciples as they have been sharing that final meal together on the night that he was betrayed. You remember that Jesus washed their feet. He told them in conversation that they were having together that he was returning to the Father. He said that the world had hated him and therefore they had hated the Father. And he said to his followers, and they will hate you too. But not to worry, said Jesus, because the Holy Spirit would come to them. And the Spirit would testify about Jesus to them and that they too must testify about Jesus. We said last week that that the reason that the Spirit came is in those words that we read from Jesus in Acts 1, wait for the Spirit. You will receive power to be my witnesses. Jesus is alluding to that statement even before his death. The Spirit will testify about me, and you also must testify about me. Okay, so it's in the context of that meal and those, those thoughts in the conversation that we then read these words. Let's stand together and read from John's Gospel. <clears throat> together, now I am going to him who sent me, None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. 
Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Heather, can we put that next slide up? I think these words are so significant, and, and I want you to just wrestle with them a little bit with someone nearby. I have much more to say to you, says Jesus. More than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. What is Jesus saying in these words about the role and the authority of the Holy Spirit in the lives of his followers? What do you think? What do those words mean? What do they say to us about the role and the authority of the Holy Spirit in God's people? Go ahead and talk with that for just a couple of minutes with a neighbor, and then we'll come back together. Okay, we ready? Probably a lot more there than we have time for, right? Initial thoughts, initial responses, given the, the, the context and the setting that we know is going on. What, what, is, what is Jesus saying here to his followers? Somebody want to take a stab? Yeah, exactly. And probably says something about the future as well. What else? What did you hear? Yeah, good observation as well. Yeah, acting. Hmm, a whole new show. All right. All right, and that's coming. <laughs> they don't realize it at that point, but it's coming, yeah. What else? Say more. Yeah, good, good, good. Excellent observation. Thanks, Phil. Yeah, that, that's definitely woven, woven in here. Simply put, I, I think that, that Jesus is, is telling his followers that the Spirit is going to take his place. Spirit's going to take his place and is going to finish the work in their lives. Listen closely. That Jesus is unable to do because he is limited in both time and human ability. Jesus in the flesh cannot complete the work. That's not to minimize Jesus, it simply, I think, brings to the forefront that mystery that we always wrestle to embrace, the God-man, fully God and fully human. And humanity has its limitations, which I think is one of the wonders of God taking on human flesh, as Paul expounds on so much in Philippians chapter 2. I think that that's why Jesus says to his followers, it is for your good that I'm going away. Now, can you imagine? The disciples are sitting there thinking, what could be worse? You are our life. We've given everything that we have to follow you. And oh, by the way, we're a little bit concerned about what's going to happen next. Because we're not terribly popular these days as your followers. And you're leaving us? You see, from their human perspective, what could be worse? And Jesus is saying, it's for your good that I'm going away. It was, in Jill's words, going to be very different, a different show. He knew, I think, that given his physical body, there was a limit to what he could do for them. In a sense, I think he's saying, it will be better for you than my being here. 
Man, that's just an enormously powerful statement about the importance of the Holy Spirit. And the role, he says, that the Spirit will guide them into all the truth. I think his words here are very significant. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. And, 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 and some of the commentators go with the, the sense of, of emotion, you know, that it's just, it's just too intense and, and emotionally they can't bear it. But I, I think, I think the, the better understanding, it's not to eliminate that, but I think that, that maybe the more helpful understanding to us is, is to, to hear that the verb that he uses to bear is literally translated to take up with your hands. It, it carries a sense of, of taking action. Of, of doing something with what you have been given. And Jesus is saying to them that there is so much more that they need to know for what reason? Just to know it? What's the reason that the Holy Spirit comes? We said it last week, said it again this morning. Power to do what? To be witnesses. There is so much more that they need to know in order to be his witnesses. But right now, they can't bear it. They can't take it. They cannot put it into action because they don't have the power to put it into action. But when the Spirit comes, that will change. Jesus says that the Spirit will guide them into all truth. Again, another interesting word. To guide means to to give guidance, to teach, to lead finds its, its origin in, in, a, in a noun that was used to describe persons who were teachers of those who were ignorant and inexperienced. And Jesus is saying, the one who comes to guide will guide you in your ignorance and in your inexperience. You know, and, and, and as Nat was, was referencing, wow, they'd been with Jesus. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying in a subtle sort of a way, you don't know anything yet. Wait until you see what's coming. I hope you're, I hope you're hearing this. Jesus is placing huge emphasis upon the importance of the Holy Spirit in the lives of his followers. Remember, he said, wait, wait. And our understanding of that is Jesus is thinking there's no way that you can face what's coming until you are filled with the power of God and enabled to face that. Huge emphasis upon the importance of the Spirit in the lives of His people. How about you? How about me? Do do we place huge emphasis on the importance of the Holy Spirit? You know, we, we understand that in order to be orthodox in our Christian faith, we... Not to be labeled as, as heretics, because none of us wants to be burned at the stake. We, we embrace the doctrine of the Trinity, right? God is one and three. God is three and one. Father, Son, and Spirit. But I think in our daily lives, when it comes to living out what we believe about God, we're not Trinitarian, we're more binarian. We're all about the Father and the Son. I like to think of it as two Arians. Tom, that's a sophisticated theological term. You'll probably hear that from your profs at Duke. Um, We are all about the Father and the Son, but the Spirit, ah, not so much. Or if we pay any attention to the Spirit, 
I won't speak for you, but I'll speak for me. It is often for selfish reasons. Boy, I just need more power from God. Why? To be his witness? Or to live the life that I want to live? It can be a subtle thing. We're looking for power and experiences that if we're honest, or if I'm honest, they call attention to us. That is not what the Spirit does. The Spirit doesn't call attention to people. The Spirit calls attention to Jesus and the glory of God. The Spirit empowers the followers of Jesus to live their lives in such a way that Jesus is experienced in and through them. That's, that's the witness piece. That's what we saw last week. Suddenly they became bold witnesses. Hey, did you go home, any of you, and, and read your homework assignment? Read Peter's speech? Whew. If you haven't done that yet, do it. Look at Peter after Pentecost compared with the guy before Pentecost. Only explained by the presence and the power of the Spirit. I love how Garrison Keillor describes this. He was once asked to, as only he can, of course, he was once asked to name what he considered to be the five most important books ever. He ranked the book of Acts at the top. And he offered this short summary of the book. This is a quote. The flames lit on their little heads and bravely and dangerously went they onward. That's book of Acts in a nutshell. God lit up their lives and away they went as witnesses, as martyrs for him. I said to you last Sunday at the the risk of sounding awfully negative that the church in this country and probably other countries as well, but this is my own and it's really my only standard of measurement, that church has had very little impact for the kingdom of God because we, quite frankly, have made church into something of our doing. It is often something that we do versus something that we are. It's a, it's a doing rather than a being. Church is a nice idea, and we join in as long as it doesn't take away from other things that are important to us. Being the people of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, living to the glory of God is, quite honestly, often not the focus nor the passion of our lives. The truth of the matter is that we are way too often the passion of our lives. 19th century Scottish theologian P.T. Forsyth, great one if you've read any of his works for these, these little quips, he said this, he said, unless there is within us that which is above us, we shall soon yield to that which is about us. You want that one again? Unless there is within us that which is above us, we shall soon yield to that which is about us. And he's right. We do, we have. And then it's not long until our following of Christ is is a burden and it's not a joy. We wonder why the power to live for him is not present. It's because we seek power for the wrong reasons or it's because we have made following him about us and not about him. Jesus said that his followers would receive power in order to be his witnesses. Remember that word is martyr. And it came to mean that not that long after Jesus used those words. The Spirit comes into our lives to empower us to die to self. Live in such a way that that Jesus becomes great through us. 
to others who watch our lives. Some of you know, might know the name of Juan Carlos Ortiz, Argentinian pastor, has been in the United States for many years. He was speaking at a conference of believers, and I'll never forget this. The, uh, the, the, the person who introduced him said to us, here to speak to us is the great servant of God, Juan Carlos Ortiz. Well, if you know anything about Juan Carlos Ortiz, that did not go over well. He spent the first 15 minutes of his sermon telling us why that was a lie. There are no great servants of God in the kingdom of God, he said. There are just servants. Undeserving, grace-filled servants. God is great. Father, Son, and Spirit, each one great together, one great God. So if this resonates in your heart at all, you find yourself wanting more of the life that, that Jesus has called us to, which is, remember, it's a life of dying to self and living for him with a passion, then I want to just suggest two simple confessions to you this morning and then a request. Perhaps you will incorporate these into your prayer life. I'm, I'm working at making these a part of, of my life on a regular basis. First one is this. Based on what we have seen here in this text, Jesus uses the masculine pronoun again and again and again. It's not a neuter. It's a masculine. He's assigning to the role of the Spirit, the being of the Spirit, personhood. And so... I think that our first confession in moving more in this direction of power-filled lives that God has called us to live for His glory is we need to confess that we have often treated the Spirit as more like a vague kind of a force be with you than the person of the Trinity, the eternal, existent, creative God that He is. The Holy Spirit is God. The Spirit is no less a person in terms of feelings and emotions and personality and ability to think and make decision. Do you ever think that way? I have not thought that way enough in my life. Paul talked about not grieving the Holy Spirit with sin in our life. Peter told Ananias and Sapphira that they had lied to the Holy Spirit. That did not work out real well for them in the end. Perhaps we need to confess that we have neglected the very real presence of the Holy Spirit as God in our lives, acting and and living as if He is just some kind of a force. Nothing could be further from the truth. I don't know, those of you who grew up in Christian homes, did you ever have a mom who said to you, well, would you do that if Jesus was sitting next to you? When I was contemplating an activity that she didn't think was honoring to God. I used to hate it when she said that. <laughs> As a follower of Jesus, not only is he sitting next to me, he's in me. And how often have I allowed my life 
to become a dumping ground for the crap of the world in which I live. And I don't give a thought to the presence of God who lives in my life. So perhaps confession, that we have treated the Spirit as more of a vague kind of a force than as the presence of God. I think it's the second confession that is, is helping me, and I would encourage you as well. Confess that you do not understand His ways and affirm that that's okay. He's God. He doesn't have to have our permission to do the things that He wants to do in our lives. He's given us for sure His Word, and that is precious, and that is guidance to us. But there are things in Scripture that sometimes confuse and unsettle. I think it's okay to be honest about those thoughts with Him and in our expressions, with the Spirit. He is God. He knows we're thinking those things anyway. What if we were to just break down that wall to an increased intimacy with Him and be honest about our thoughts? Tell Him, tell him your fear, that out of, out of your fear you have put Him in a box and said, this is the way the Spirit works or does not work. I've often thought that God must appreciate being told how it is that he works and how he doesn't work. Tell him too, as I have, that in a desire for power and attention, I have sought his power for personal gain and not for the glory of Jesus in my life. I think, I think both of these confessions can, can be good in, in helping us move and gain momentum towards embracing this amazing intimacy of the presence of God in our lives. And then having done that, ask the Father, and this would be the request, ask the Father to give more of His Spirit in your life. Fill you to overflowing with your Spirit on a daily basis. Put no restrictions on it. Luke writes that Jesus told His followers, it's even before Pentecost, You know, if you, being earthly fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father know how to give the Spirit to those who ask Him? Are we willing to ask for more? God, give me all that you want me to have of your presence. No holds barred. Praise team, come on up. J.B. Phillips says that every time we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, what we mean by that statement is that we believe that there is a living God who is able and willing to enter human personality and change it. Spirit of the living God, I would ask that you would fall fresh upon our lives. She would give us confidence in who you are that you would forgive us of our neglect of you as a person, as real. Father, that you would forgive us of our fears that cause us to hold you at a distance, interpreting for you what it is that you do and don't do. 
May You come anew and afresh into our lives with power that fills us to overflowing with a passion for Jesus, making Him known, being His witnesses, not for our sakes, for our fame, for our reputation, but for Your great glory. For that is why the Spirit exists in our life. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, presence of God, we give you praise. Amen.